Good morning, everyone. That was a lot of fun, huh? That's good. You know, if you're uh, in that place where you're taking a, a step towards Christ this morning, we just want to say with all of our hearts, we're, we're in it with you, uh, that if we can help you uh, move towards Christ, then we certainly uh, want to extend our, all of our heart uh, in whatever we can do to, to be an encouragement to you. Um, we'll have some other times um, to be baptized, and if you're in that place that you're saying, yep, yeah, I'm ready, uh, just you know, pull me aside and say, yep, yeah, I'm ready, and, and we'll let you know when, when the next one is. Uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 15, uh, I just want to share a few words of encouragement uh, with you this morning and also give our, our Sunday school classes a little time to meet before uh, we share a meal together. So my understanding is that uh, the gluten-free menu is uh, uh, very modest um, uh, in size, so uh, there are a few gluten-free things, but the men's Monday night Bible study there, I guess they're into meat. So, uh, so if you have some dietary things, I've, I've been told there's fruit and a few things like that, but uh, 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 best wishes finding gluten-free stuff. So anyway, come with me to Luke chapter 15 this morning, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Uh, for this morning and uh, people sharing their testimony of Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bibles. Uh, come there with me and look at verses 1 and 2 this morning. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so what we see is Jesus extending grace and hospitality to two groups of people. One are described as, as sinners. And included in the sinners category um, is, the, is the IRS, um, Just, jo just joking, agents. <laughs> well, the IRS agents, I was going to say they're better than in Bible times, but I, I think they are. If I get audited, I'm blaming you guys. But the tax collectors were a very different breed in Bible times. They would exploit people. They worked for the Romans. They would try to get a cut of everything they collected. And they were despised by the people of the day. They were considered untouchable, unclean. The sinners were just like you and I. They were primarily Gentiles, primarily excluded from the worship of the temple. And yet Jesus was willing to have a meal with them and fellowship with them. That's the first group of people. The second group were the religious type. Some of you would fall into that category. You know, you got everything squared away, don't really have many needs when it comes to God. You know, you pretty much like feel like 
you're righteous and got it all together. The people that had the hard time were the religious people. And Jesus is going to share three stories with them. The stories are called parables. A parable is a story that's created out of the normal day-to-day -day experiences that the people would have. So that's one point about a parable. They're, they're a created story. The second point of a parable is that it has a single message. We're going to look briefly at three of them. Each one has only one message. You know, if you're a Bible scholar and you're looking for penal substitutionary atonement, you're not going to find it in a parable. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist and isn't important. It's just that a parable is a simple story designed as far as introductory into our little devotional this morning is take note of who's doing the narration. Who's telling the story? Who's crafted the story? Then, of course, we could ask ourselves the question, why is that important? So let me throw it out to you. Who has crafted all three of these stories? Jesus has. Good. You're, you're awake, and it's amazing. Uh, come to the 8.30, most of them are sleeping, but 10 o'clock, you're a good group. Jesus is the narrator of the story. Why? Well, if you would look at uh, John chapter 17, for example, and you'd look at John 17, verse 8, or you could look at John 17, uh, verses, I think it's 24 and 25 and 26. If you looked at John chapter 5, you'd find out the simple truth that one of Jesus' main purpose was to come and reveal to us the Father. In 17.8, it says, All the words that the Father has given me, I've given to you. Why? So that we could understand the nature and the character of God. So you might have your opinions about who God is, and, and many people do, but there's only one person that was fully God and fully man that knew God the Father, and came to communicate his nature and character to us, and that's Jesus Christ. You might have had some bad experiences with your earthly father that kind of color your view of your heavenly father. That's why Luke 15 is so important, because it tells us the nature and character. Like I said, Jesus is speaking to two groups of people. He's speaking to the sinners, like you and I, and he's speaking to the religious leaders of the day who are grumbling and complaining because Jesus is extending, uh, how can we say this? Yeah, that, yeah. Jesus is extending too much grace to these sinners. After all, they really don't what? They really don't deserve it. And so Jesus comes Three little stories, only one message. Take a look at the first parable. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. So if you do your, um, if you go online and you do your celebrity pastor thing, they always 
seem to be trying to find out, like, where's Jesus in this parable? I like to make a hoot out of it. But uh, in my simple-minded Medfordite mind, it, it simply tells me that Jesus is doing the narration. I don't need to look any farther. Why? We've already discussed that. He's giving us the nature and character of the Father. So he starts out with story number one. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need what? No repentance. What's the single truth? single truth is that we have a God who's seeking after you. That the metaphor here is about sheep and being lost, and, and Jesus wants us to understand that Jesus is always doing this. He's always knocking on our hearts. And if you think back of your journey that allows you to sit in kind of like a funky church, you know? Like, where is the stained glass? And like, where's the robes and the smells and bells? I mean, it's kind of funny God's got you here. Why does he? Because he's a seeking God. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 19, there was this little Irish guy who climbed up the tree, and Jesus says, oh, come down here, Zacchaeus. And Jesus invites him to have lunch. The religious leaders had a hard time with that. But at the end of chapter 19, what does it say? That the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. He's a seeking God. He's been seeking you. I can remember as a young boy, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and as a young boy, uh, when it was time for my confirmation, um, there was a big deal. Uh, you know, we had the practices where we lined up and, and marched down the aisle, and, and one of the nuns would stand in for the bishop, and this is what the bishop's going to do. Uh, there was a problem when it came to my confirmation. I broke my leg. And if you want to think that miffed out the nuns, their habits were flapping because someone was going to be out of line. Someone wasn't in the queue. And so I had to stand off in one of the side chapels, sit down in one of the side chapels, and the nuns would come in, and they, and they got me, and you could hear them hissing. <laughs> rebellious. You've always been rebellious, Eddie. And... Um, and so they brought, me up to the, they brought me up to the bishop, and, you know, the bishop in the Catholic Church, they lay their hands on you so that you would supposedly receive what? The Holy Spirit. Except this time it really happened. There was this little, like, now I'm not going to make doctrine out of this. Please don't make doctrine out of this. But there was like a little electrical charge that went from his hand on top of my head. And he was like, who? What is that? Good God. Looking back, God's calling. I, I remember as a, as a little Cub Scout, 
uh, we did this ecumenical service at the First Baptist Church in Malden. Why my parents let me into the church and the roof didn't fall on top of me, I don't know. But we were holding candles and singing a Christmas hymn. And as a, even as a little boy, I knew, whoa, there's something more. God? See, we have a God who seeks after us. Second story. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is a joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What's the message? We have a God who loves us and is seeking after us. I joined the Air Force on January 22, 1979. I raised my hand and said, okay, I do. Not to a bribe, <laughs> to Uncle Sam. And I remember like waiting for the bus to take us to the airport, to Lackland, and, and I was shuffling through the drawers of a desk there, just wondering what was inside of it because it wasn't locked. And I, I opened up one drawer there, and all, there were these all these little green Gideon Bibles, just little tiny things. They fit in, your, fit in your pocket, just like that. And for whatever reason, I said, I think I might need one of these. Lo and behold, years later, I'm up on top of a mountain attached to the Turkish Air Force, and that's still in my kit bag. I take it out, and I start reading this New Testament. We have a seeking God. Do you remember when God knocked on your heart? Do you remember when events happened in your life where you realized, oh, there is, there's something more here. There's Jesus. And you didn't quite know what to do with that. We come to the third story. And Jesus said to them, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of your property that is coming to me. Now, what 20-year-old would, would want that to happen to them today? All of, all of you would. Give me, your, you know, give me my inheritance today so I can you know, fill in the blank. This was this young guy. And the father divided his property between them. Now, that's an exceptional father. Don't you think so? What happened next? Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in their country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the, his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs, uh, that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, there's a lot that can be said about here, but remember this, parables aren't designed to extrapolate one truth after another. What's the one truth of the parable? That we have a seeking God who loves us? But it would be hard not it would be hard for me to resist not saying a few words about this father, because he represents who? Our Heavenly Father. 
Notice the father's heart towards the son. He's not angry. He's not harsh. He's not, doesn't manipulate or control. Simply does what? Loves the son. Loves the son. Notice what else he does. He trusts God to work in his son's life. And is God faithful to that? Yeah. God sends hardship. I'll speak to the fathers here. Don't be harsh with your kids. When my kids were, you know, young teens, getting, just getting their driver's license, I said to them a couple things. I said, um, nothing good happens after midnight, so be home before midnight. Yeah, Dad. Yeah, Dad. Another thing I said to both of them, one was a perfect child. She had no need of anything. The other one, I said to them, your mom and dad love you. No one is ever going to love you more than your mom and dad. And so please listen to us. And if you won't listen to us, life is a very mean and unforgiving teacher. There's no harshness, no manipulation. There was free will that could be exercised. It was after midnight. The phone rang. I was waiting for it. It's the imperfect child, by the way. <laughs> Dad, I'm in trouble. My response, I'm on my way. No harshness. Lesson was still learned because life is a what? It's a mean and unforgiving teacher. But at that moment, my relationship with this emerging adult was forever secured. Because there was love, there was affection, but there was strength of character of a father, but there was no harshness. The next verse here is it says that this, the younger son, comes to his senses. Look at the text with me. In verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And what is the next phrase? While he was still a long way off, the father had already decided that fattened calf was going to get slaughtered. I'm going to put a robe and a ring upon my son because my son was once lost, but now he's found. What's the difference between parable one, parable two, and parable three? Well, parable one and two... It's all about God initiated the seeking. But parable three 
provides the balance and is the message for today. Parable three is that when the son came to his senses, what did he do? He humbled himself and he repented of his sinful rebellion and he got up and out of his own free will, what did he do? He decided to go home. We heard that earlier today for some. They came to their senses. They repented of their sin. And they went home. They went home to the Father. They went home to the Son. They went home to the Holy Spirit. They went home and they came home. They belonged to God and they belonged to God's people. See, God is seeking, but the third parable provides the balance that there's a response required by you. God can knock all day long, but unless you answer the door and invite him into your heart, you can't experience all the love and the joy that come from having a relationship with God the Father. Like I told you at the parable, there's penal substitutionary atonement is missing. Doesn't mean it's not there. But the message is this. If God has been knocking on your heart today, would you repent? Would you turn from your sin so that you can experience God's forgiveness and receive adoption to be made a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he'll make you a new creation, but it just requires a turning and a response of faith to the grace that God's extending. Now, I, I know all you religious folks, they know, you know the end of the parable, right? So I don't need to tell you that. Because a lot of us are like the older son, aren't we? We're all about our title and our position and our standing. But what's the father's heart towards even the elder brother? Oh, my boy. You've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. Why don't you just chill out? Because your younger brother who once was lost, is now found. See, God is a seeking God, and he wants you. The decision is yours to repent, to turn, and to come home. Amen? We're going to close our time together today by sharing the second ordinance. Ordinance means command. There's a command to be baptized, by the way. And there's a command as often as you get together to do this in remembrance of Christ. So we want to invite Ben to come and give us a minute to reflect. And then we'll remember Christ and his glorious work on the cross and what that means to us today. Thank you.